0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bpcom investing in America.
1: Ready to elevate your home? Picture this central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figures Home Equity Line of Credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit Figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to ww.nmls Welcome to episode five fifty one with my guest, Grace Michelli. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty, about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. There's all kinds of stuff there. There's a forum, Um, there are surveys that you can take, they're a big part of the show. Um, you can support the show there by uh, buying stuff, uh t-shirt, coffee mug, um and you can donate if you're uh, feeling so inclined. Let's dive into actually before we dive into some surveys, um I took the the month of July off and uh aired best of episodes that had been previously aired and um I feel refreshed. I feel I feel good. I'm really glad I started taking uh time off from the podcast. The first 8 years of the podcast I didn't take a week off and I was wondering why I was starting to feel burned out. Um uh, my girlfriend and I uh went to Hawaii and it was it was awesome. It was romantic and you know living in Los Angeles where there's a drought and everything is brown it it was so nice to feel rain and to see green and clear warm water it was it was amazing uh, the, the only thing that kind of sucked was uh i was in the ocean one day and i thought oh you know i'm going to rent a boogie board cuz i i like to boogie board and the waves were they were pretty good sized uh but nothing i hadn't been in before but the boogie board they rented i think was designed for a fetus <laughs> so i had to keep coming in closer and closer to shore to catch waves and i lost track of where i was and you know the rocks in hawaii are made from lava so they are really really sharp and and then there's algae growing on them so they're also slippery and I washed up on these rocks and I was just like, oh my God, what have I done? So now I've got about 15 yards in any direction I want to go to navigate these rocks. And every two or three feet I can see under the water is a sea urchin. And if you aren't familiar with the sea urchin, it's it's a ball that has needles like a porcupine. They're, they're like small knitting needles. And if you touch a sea urchin, they shoot these needles into your body, your hand or your foot or whatever part of you hits them. And apparently they're really, really fucking painful if you get one. So I'm trying to navigate these rocks and the waves are still coming in, so they're knocking me off balance, and I can feel my hands and feet scraping and and getting cut. And my only goal was to just get into deeper water without stepping on a sea urchin, and I managed to do it. But you know, I was I was bleeding a lot by the time I got to to shore, and I had a, a cut under my foot and on my hand that uh, required stitches and i don't know if you've ever had a shot in your foot the doctor warned me he said this is one of the most painful places you can get a shot so whatever you need to do feel free to do it and i yelled probably loud enough for people to hear three buildings away i yelled "Motherfucker!" as he put both of the shots and to the bottom of my foot. But I'm glad I got the stitches and they healed up after a couple of weeks. And uh the rest of the vacation was was just awesome. My girlfriend and I got certified in scuba, which had been something I'd been wanting to do for probably twenty five years. And it was it was so cool. Hawaii is such a great place to scuba dive. You know, we had gigantic sea turtles swimming a foot from us. You know, we saw a manta ray, eagles, the most amazingly colored fish. It was just so cool. And the first dive that we did after we got certified was a nighttime dive. <laughs> I don't know why I chose to do that. It was pretty. It was pretty intense. But the the cool part was we we held hands throughout the whole the whole thing, and it just. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those moments where you're you're like, I'm going to I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. So, it was cool. Been to join the Olympics. I don't know about you guys, but it's nice because sometimes I forget that I'm an overweight pervert and it's it's really nice to be <laughs> reminded of that. Uh It was so bittersweet seeing Simone Biles model self-care and mental health and opening the discussion up uh, about it. It was, I think it was a really watershed moment. Let's read a survey. This is uh, from the Memorable Vacation Arguments survey. And Carolina writes, I protested my husband finishing two bottles of alcohol before New Year's Eve in Paris. He ended up blacking out. I couldn't get us a taxi and had to walk him many blocks away, in and out of the packed full metro and up the stairs where we were staying. When we got there, he fell in the shower and injured his ribs while taking a shower. I feel responsible for buying the alcohol, then then deciding not to drink it, also for asking him to take a shower." one of the reasons i wanted to read this carolina is is i think this is a classic example of codependency with an alcoholic and the warning signs that you need to take care of yourself and get help for yourself you know one of the things when when people live with an alcoholic is they are under the illusion that they can change this person's drinking habits. And they cannot. And they get drained and drained and more resentful and more resentful and feel guilt and shame. And it all distracts them from working on what's going on within themselves because that's the only thing that we can really change. And so I highly recommend you check out a support group for the, the loved ones of, uh, of an alcoholic or addict. But thank you for sharing that. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Charlie and she asked, "Have you ever had sexual fantasies about your therapist?" I think a better question would be, "Have you ever not had sexual fantasies about your therapist?" I used to feel guilty about that. I, I and I came to find out that it's incredibly common, and it's actually a part of people's healing process. Uh, you know, the relationship between the client and the therapist can often become a template for a healthy, communicative, uh, vulnerable experience for the for the client and. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who were raised in a sexualized, confusing environment, um, that's our, if the closest experience that, that we may have to love at that point. So, of, of course, we're going to want to sexualize that. If you've never seen the movie Step Brothers, there's, there's a, a hilarious, cringe worthy scene at the end where Will Ferrell goes to, uh, goes to therapy. Uh, this is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, filled out by no name, and they write, Since you're now divorced, do you regret marrying your wife? Um, no, I do not. Is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, yes, I would have gotten help sooner. Uh, I would have worked on my, myself sooner uh, because I regret um, the times I was a bad husband, the times I caused her pain uh, the times I was dishonest. Um, uh, do you feel it was part of your journey? I do feel it was part of my journey. And I, I know I probably wouldn't be here doing the podcast today if I hadn't experienced and gone through some of the things I went through. But I I have a really hard time uh, letting go of the shame of uh, causing people pain. This is from the love survey filled out by Trail Runner. And they write, I love a long trail run that shows me a beautiful place. Running with someone who is also loving the experience. When someone hears me and expresses care. The feeling I have when someone is having emotional pain and I can be there fully for them. My dog or my cat working me over trying to get me to feed them. And the thought of my dog or cat sleeping in my bed with me and also hearing some of the loves you read. Thank you for that. That's that's awesome. Crystal asks, which episode was it that you had a guest speaking about TMS, which stands for transcranial uh, magnetic stimulation? I can't recall which one it was, but um, if there's any subject you guys are looking for, uh, Google a keyword... And include MentalPod. And generally, that episode will come up on your search. So just Google Mental pod and TMS. This is. Uh, my headphones are so fucking. There we go. This is an awful moment filled out by If Only Being Wrong Was an Olympic Sport. And he writes uh, Sure, my good friend Jared, not his real name, suffered a fatal fall when he was fixing his section of roof on his house. But now, he doesn't have to concern himself about Christmas shopping. The noisy asshole talking on his phone in the adjacent restaurant booth. Coming up with reasons to not work out. The cost of gas or if his wife is getting it in the backside from the 24-year-old manager at work. It's fucked, but I kind of envy my now very dead friend. Wow. That is so painfully honest and uh, I think a lot of us have when we're in that place where we, we feel like we've had enough it, it does it does seem like oh man that mu- that must be nice to not have to deal with that shit anymore Just Chillin asks how do you feel about getting older this is a hard one to answer because uh, it's so complicated and there's a part of me that is fighting the feelings that I have about it because I don't know it feels like the feelings that I have around it are you know quote-unquote unrecovered and uh you know like I shouldn't be feeling them like I should be more mentally healthy than to, to fall into them. But it scares me. And probably the biggest emotion that I feel around getting older is self-consciousness, you know. I, I My left hand started shaking a couple of, couple of years ago. You know, my psychiatrist said it might have to do with the meds that I take. But, of course, I'm convinced that I've got a gigantic tumor in my brain. And uh, it's only going to get worse until people can't even make eye contact with me. You know, there are times when I'm playing hockey and you know, I'll I'll fall and it just looks so awkward and old. And I just uh it's so it's so hard to be that guy on the ice that other people I'm sure are thinking, boy, I'm <laughs> I'm glad I'm not that guy. But the thing that kind of counterbalances it is as I get older thanks to therapy and my support group and my friends and this podcast, I'm continuing to grow emotionally and mentally. And as I do that, I I think I'm of more value to not only myself, but to people around me. And that is a really good feeling because it, it reminds me that my worth is not tied up in whether or not my legs are getting a or my hand shakes, um, but it sounds corny how much i can love with love myself how intimate i can be with people platonically and romantically and and how much i can i can help people around me so them's my thoughts on that we are sponsored today as always by BetterHelp online therapy i'm a big fan of it i started doing it about 3 years ago um I've worked through a lot of issues with my therapist and uh, it's just nice to have a place that's safe that you can go to uh, once a week or however often you want to do it where you can just unload and be vulnerable and not know the answers and and just get great guidance and feel seen. Um, So if you're interested in checking it out, go to betterhelp.com slash metal. Make sure you include the slash metal part so they know you came from the podcast and then just fill out a questionnaire and if they have a counselor they think is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling and you need to be over 18. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by More Mid Than West And she writes, four years ago, I lost my only full-blood younger sibling to suicide, just a few days before his 22nd birthday. I'm so sorry. I had blocked my mom's phone number at the time. Our relationship is a constant struggle. So when she called my then-boyfriend's phone, I wasn't all too interested. I heard her crying, and immediately I knew in the pit of my stomach what had happened. We rushed over to their house where the police already were. The police were awful people, traipsing through our house, not even looking at the devastated family in the room, making jokes over my brother's dead body in his bedroom. Only one person muttered, I'm sorry, the fucking crime scene photographer. It was the worst night of my life. At some point, a police officer came into the living room to ask what my brother's password to his phone was. After a brief moment of silence, my other younger brother looked up and said, Buttfucker 6969. I am here with Grace Michelli, who is a an illustrator, uh, an author. Um, your publicist reached out to me, and uh, I had her send me your book, How to Deal, and it's an illustrated book about just all the shit we go through, and I loved it, and I was like, yes, let's get her. Let's get her into the room with the microphones, and here you are, you're visiting from from New York, uh, got to meet your dog, Tony, or your boyfriend's dog, Tony. No,
0: my, my dog, yeah.
1: Oh, it's your dog? Yeah, 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you should give it to Tony. I think he should take ownership of it. Uh, it's nice to have you here, and congratulations on a really great and helpful book.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm I'm such a fan of the podcast, so it's it's exciting to be here.
1: Where do we begin <laughs> um what are what are the issues that fuck with you the most today
0: i think i really struggle with like being present and not getting totally obsessed and anxious about the future um and it's, it's like, funny to write a whole book kind of about that, right? There's, like, a whole section on that I call How to Stay When You Want to Run Away.
1: I, I loved it. I loved and, that part of it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, and awareness is obviously, like, a huge, important first step, I think, with so much of this stuff. And that's kind of, you know, what I've been working on and focusing on the past few years. But, um, yeah, I I really struggle with not, like, waking up every single morning, uh, like, fixated on how am I going to be supporting myself in five years? Like, what am I going to be doing? Like, <laughs> Why do we do that? I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. Is that
1: an evolutionary part of our brain that got us here today because it used to help us?
0: I mean, it, it has to be. I, you know, I think... Going through my own personal journey, I really have become more and more interested in like, yeah, like why do our brains do all this stuff that, you know, essentially is like suffering and there's you have right. to you have to put so much work into uh shifting that away just to like enjoy yourself or or at mm. least I do and you know, right. most people I know
1: do. And the batting average of the crystal ball is so ridiculously low. Yeah, we're like nope let's keep it in the lineup let's go to it i think maybe there's something oddly comforting about it because it's it's a familiar voice we think that it's protecting us i don't know what do you what do you think
0: yeah i mean it's just like you know the unknown is so uncomfortable so i think even if it's like A bad future outcome still like thinking you're preparing yourself for that i think is like there's some comfort in that being like Like it's going to cushion it definitely like yes i like i will obviously fail in the future but there's something that's like oh because i know that will happen i won't uh like i'm not gonna look like a fool to people or something like there's it's like a Mm self-awareness but it's not and i think yeah it's it really is just like a trap that we set for ourselves
1: and I, it's interesting because there's there's a benefit to having a plan B and minimizing expectations, but it, it, there's this line between that and catastrophizing. And so, one of the things that I think can help is to say, okay, if this did come true, this thing that I'm imagining, um, what then? What are my what are my options other than pain and being abandoned by everybody and dying alone in a ditch without teeth. Uh,
0: yeah. No, that's that's definitely something I've been thinking about so much recently. Like, how do I be present in the moment, but also responsibly plan for my future? Because it's like, right. yes, like, I want to wake up every day and just, like, you know, see what happens and, you know, just, like, in, enjoy every moment. But then, you know... How do you, like, save up for a house or, or mm-hmm. you know, like, how do you progress in your career if you're just, like, s- you know, smiling mm-hmm. and, like, looking, looking at the world around you?
1: How many, if you, if, if you had to take a rough guess of how many beautiful surprises the universe has given you since you were born, how many do you think that would be? Oh,
0: man. No, exactly. Like too, too many to count. And that's the thing, right? It's like, I think that's maybe like a key to all this stuff is looking back in a, in a way to just be like, whoa, like all this stuff that you've done, all these like people that have been in your life, all these accomplishments, instead of just like, exactly staring at the crystal ball and be like, what's going to happen next? Like looking back in a way that's um just like appreciative or you know with with gratitude right that's just like gratitude for all that stuff and and to know that um that keeps happening right like yeah that so that's going to keep happening why why do we
1: why do we forget that again i maybe it's that evolutionary part of yeah. our of our brain um i, I don't I don't know, but it's so it's so annoying. And the the few moments when we're able to look at the future and say, "I can't wait to see what's next," it is so hard to get to that place, and it's so rare. Are you ever able to get to that place? And what helps you get to that place?
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm trying to do that right now. I'm on this like two month road trip with my boyfriend and my dog, and kind of the point of that was to just like be present and you know be like i have no idea what i'm going to do when i get back in new york like i don't have any big projects lined up i don't have an apartment like i don't know what i'm going to be doing and i want to take this time to just like exactly like see the country you know like see family i haven't seen since before covid right like all all this sort of stuff and uh, you know, I've de- there, I was even fantasizing about that, right? Like I had this this thing in my head of like, oh, it's just going to be so wonderful. And the thing with being present is that like, yes, you have those beautiful moments, but it also sucks a lot of the time.
1: Talk like, about that.
0: Like, uh, we just drove for a week across the desert and the AC was broken. And so like... Wow. F- to, yeah. Like, to be... F- I was... But I was so physically present, right? I was in my body i was sweating i was like putting ice rubbing ice cubes all over my face i'm like holding them on my boyfriend while he drives right so you know it was was pain it was painful and i think that that's something that i know maybe i avoid with being present because it's like you know if you're numbing out with whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. which can be yeah like being on your phone obsessing about the future trying to like know what's going to happen you don't have to like feel physical pain or be uncomfortable so I know that that's something that like I'm for better for worse I am kind of like forced I've kind of set up this situation where I like have to do that right now and yeah it's you know it's beautiful at times but like it also sucks too (laughs) I.
1: I would imagine, too, that there is going to come a day when you will look back fondly at the moment of rubbing ice cubes cubes on your boyfriend's forehead (laughs) while you drive through the desert. Totally. Uh, Definitely. and, And that, to me, is such an amazing... I don't know if it's part of our brain or our emotions or our spirit, but the ability to look back at trying times... And to, I don't know, get something positive out of it. It, it, it's one of the reasons why I started the awful some surveys, because I've had enough in my life or seen enough occur in people's lives around me to realize how important perspective is. And those of us that deal with addiction, we realize that it is in many ways a, a disease of perception.
0: Definitely, and it's yeah, it's so great to do that. You know, to be able to look back and be like, "Remember when there was like no hope, right? Like it was you thought that this was the end, this was it." And you know, to not all, of course, you're not always going to look back and laugh necessarily, Mm -hmm. but to at least be like, "Okay, well, I I did that. I got through that. Like I did that. That's so cool." And to yeah, just like be proud of yourself for for those things I think is something again like I want to do more
1: where do you think checking out started for you as a kid
0: I mean when I was when I was younger I don't know exactly where I picked it up but I somehow absorbed that um it wasn't good to express feelings. So,
1: was it overt or covert that message?
0: It was. It was covert. It, it definitely was. Like, you know, just picking up on annoyances from my parents. If you know, I'm like screaming or crying about something as, as a kid, right? I just, I definitely. I think. I think I have. Uh, had like people pleasing tendencies since i was very small so just kind of like not wanting to bother people not wanting to annoy people
1: not having needs
0: exactly exactly so you know as a kid i just kind of started to like shut that down and you know that meant just like i have memories of a summer in middle school just like playing video playing computer games like the whole summer just like not wanting to hang out with friends not wanting to go outside um, I what think, was the game?
1: Do you remember? Uh,
0: yeah, so I had all the like bootleg. I didn't. I never had uh, like the Sims, but I had like Sim Safari, Sim Tower, kind of like the mm-hmm. the other versions, um, and I loved it. Like you know,
1: control, just
0: control. Like you just get to escape into this fantasy world. I don't have to like think about myself or exactly have any have Dopamine any needs. city. exactly exactly so i think that's kind of how it started and then yeah over the years it's shifted it's been a lot of like digital stuff a lot of um you know internet uh has definitely always been a place where i have gone to escape and it's given me so much like my career i don't i don't know that i would have the career i do if it wasn't for the internet and, like, using it as much as I did and, you know, the, like, the friendships and the connections that I have developed over the years on there. So I'm grateful for it. But, you know, these days I'm definitely trying to figure out a way to use it and not, uh, you know, have it be this, exactly this place I turn to if I'm, like, feeling bad and just want validation or want to feel better because the amount of times that it actually gives you that is like
1: so completely non existent. So fleeting. And it's never enough.
0: It's never you know? it's never enough. Um but but yeah I think that um that's just yeah like being younger and you know it 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 was it was really hard and it wasn't until I you know I stopped drinking and I got back into therapy about three and a half years ago so Mm -hmm. it really was not until then that i was actually like someone my therapist told me like hey like you have emotions like you're not like i I really had this identity of like i'm just not an emotional person right which is not true so uh yeah so many different ways of like burying that pushing it down and it's it's so strange. Like I really have, I really like can viscerally remember like remember the sensation of just like shoving it down, like shoving.
1: As a kid or an adult?
0: But uh, Both. like yeah, yeah. Like ever since I, you know, I have those those memories of being younger. Like I I don't have a ton um, specifically, but. Just, yeah, like, you know, once I like kind of went off to college and, you know, was around people that were that talked more about that. And then as soon as alcohol got introduced, that was uh, such an easy way to do that.
1: And when did that become a problem? What did that look like?
0: Yeah. So I did not uh, I didn't like I didn't party or drink at all in high school. I was like pretty much a total nerd. Um, So then as soon as I got to college. It just, yeah, right away I was, you know, just, like, drinking so much all the time. Uh, I, like, studied abroad in London and just drugs, like, just, just anything anyone put in front of me. Uh, what,
1: what were you studying? Uh, graphic design?
0: Art. So just, like, like stu- studio art. I had uh, more, more of, like, fine art, conceptual art. Where and- did you study? Where, where did I study? Yeah. So I went to Smith College, which is in Western Mass. And then mm-hmm. I went to Goldsmiths, which is in London for a year. So, you know, they were intense in schools. Like, I, you know, I definitely had to, like, show up and mm-hmm. be present. Um, and, you know, it's interesting now, looking back, I think that I kind of chose art because that was a way for me. It was a safe way for me to express myself. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have to sit there and be like, I feel sad today, right? I could like take these like moody black and white abstract photographs and, you know, it felt like a safe way for me to channel that. And it's, again, only these past few years that I've figured out how to like do that in a more present way. Like this book, right? It's, it's just, it's very, you know, obvious in what I'm saying and uh, what I'm expressing. So I, I'm able to see that now. I think I chose art because I could, you know, just kind of like do what it felt like a place where I could be free and just kind of do and, and say whatever I wanted.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost like therapy that you can potentially make money at.
0: Definitely. No, definitely. I mean, and that's, yeah, that's definitely something that I'm, I think – I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I'm trying to figure out now, like, sometimes I, I don't know if making work about what I'm c- struggling with, what I'm going through, like, in a you know, in a public way, like, of course, the fact that other people are going to read it, right, and feel seen and feel less alone. I think that is what has been driving me for the past few years to, like, keep going with this type of work. But I, I do have to stop and think about, like, is it actually like helping me deal with this stuff? Because I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I made like an illustration about this. Like, that's good. Like check. Like I've figured this thing out when, you know, as I'm describing all this stuff to you, I'm like, I have not, and maybe none of us ever like totally master any of these things, right? Unless you're like a a Buddhist monk somewhere. But uh, that's something I, I am thinking about. I'm like, just by making art about, everything I'm dealing with, like, does that, again, just kind of like further abstract my issues? Or um, is it actually like helping me grow? I I see it
1: as a small part of a a larger puzzle, just another tool that has these kind of cool side effects, but also brings its own set of problems when we're not feeling creative, when we're second guessing ourselves. I've had my, you know, my last great idea and it's just all shit from here and I'm a fraud and they're going to be found out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Totally. That is, that is such a, yes, that is such a huge part of it. And Right. Oh, Again, over the years that I've been making art as my job, there's, you know, there's definitely been, like, ebbs and flows of that, of, like, flattening myself to kind of, like, be my creative output mm-hmm. too much. And then – and exactly when, like, you know, you have a, a slow few months of, uh, you know, clients, right, or, or or jobs, and when your work is so personal, it's like, well – Okay, I know I'm not supposed to take stuff personally, but like when my work is about my life, like how do I how do I not do how do that? I not get
1: offended that you have rejected <laughs> yeah. not only my life but my expression of it? E-
0: exactly. So, yeah, and I I don't know what the what the answer to that is, but you know I've been trying to like have more conversations with artists that uh, that you know create similar work, and it's definitely been illuminating to hear that. Most people, most of us are kind of like, I I don't know. (laughs) Like, yeah, I don't know.
1: There's such a freedom in I don't know. It used to, to me, be the most terrifying thing because I thought to know was to be able to control and -hmm. and to protect myself. And I didn't realize I was missing out on vulnerability. I was missing out on other people's input. I was missing out on the joy of feeling one of many, of feeling connected, of letting people help me. Uh, all of those things were so not even on my radar. You know, we were talking about the the gifts that the universe gives us, and sometimes it's through adversity that we get them. And I had to face an addiction killing me or addictions killing me before I was able to experience those those surprising things. I wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation with you if I didn't on July 21st, 2003 say, I don't know, please help me.
0: Oh my gosh, It exactly. Like, yeah, it, it just opens you up. And I, right, like now I can look back and see that, yeah, the three and a half years ago before I was like, I can't do this, right? It was like I had this really depressive episode for a while. And luckily I was able to, you know, reach out to enough people who were like, maybe like, you know, start to see someone, start to talk to someone about it. And as soon as – yeah, as soon as, like, you're able to admit that, I, I just felt like all of a sudden I could see everything. And, like, you know, it's doesn't make it – doesn't make it easier at all, but to, like, acknowledge, you know, your pain and that, like, other – that, like, everyone else has it. And, um, yeah, I'm so grateful to – exactly, like, not – not know things um right.
1: realizing that there have always been other people in the foxhole with yeah. you
0: I really like i can't it's just amazing like it's I'm so in awe of um the fact that yeah, now I'm able to like recognize these things, and I just am like what what was I doing for like whatever thirty years like what how was I really wonder, like, how I was existing and functioning with, like, being so kind of, like, yeah, like, closed in, shut off. uh,
1: Yeah. Give me some uh, snapshots from childhood or adolescence that you think are kind of representative of your inner or outer life then.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was i i I was definitely like a very insecure, very quiet kid. um, my parents were great in that they always uh encouraged, like creativity that has always been kind of a way that I have felt confident. I think mm-hmm. you know I know a lot of people are maybe scared to like share their art or what they create with people, but that that has always again been like a safe place for me to do that um but, yeah, just I just have, you know, so many memories of just being really obsessed with convincing everyone to, or just really wanting people to like me. Again, that, like, wanting to control how people perceived me, um, not wanting to, like, be embarrassed, not wanting to be mm-hmm. laughed at, um, which I think caused me to, yeah, kind of just, like, be really quiet. Um, And that's, that's, yeah, really how I remember myself. Just, like, I love just going to the library and, like, just, you know, reading so many books. Again, that, you know, was definitely another way I escaped as a kid. Um, Just, yeah, like, I love to get kind of, like, caught up in these fantasy worlds of things. I, um you know, I had, I had friends, right? Like I wasn't a total loner, but definitely was just, uh, really always watching everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I, I do not have many memories of kind of ever checking in with myself and being like, how are you feeling? How, how are you doing? And, um, you know, I think like throughout the years, we, you know, we tried therapy as a family and I, uh, I went to therapy a few times as a, as a teen here and there. Like my, I think I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to open up. Like I was embarrassed of being honest with the therapist. Like at at 16, I was not ready. I couldn't even acknowledge it to myself. Kind of like mm-hmm. all of these things. I was like, you know, I was just always like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> Um, so to my parents credit, like they, they really did, I think, try to push me in that direction. Um, like I have memories of my mom, you know, being really upset and my mom saying things like, well, I don't cause your feelings. And of course now I can understand that, right? We're not Mm -hmm. responsible for other people's feelings, but I think I was just kind of too young Mm -hmm. to understand that at all. Um, but yeah, I just, I had a lot of. A lot of, I think, again, just, like, repressed rage. Um, I also – I have endometriosis and was diagnosed at, like, 11. So I was put on birth control at that age, which, like, I'm now off, but I basically was on for 20 years straight. And my therapist – yeah, this was – doctors now are like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, And my therapist basically explained that, like, that can have a similar effect to – like being on antidepressants, you know, just again, I think that for sure also contributed to the like numbing out the mm-hmm. I'm just a floating head, I I don't have a body sort of right. thing.
1: Um and what exactly is endometriosis?
0: Yeah, so it's basically like tissue um like from like grows outside in other places. So I had like cysts on my ovaries and um, I, I don't remember, again, it's like I was so young and I think I just kind of blocked it out so much cause I was so scared, but I, I had surgery when I was, yeah, in like fifth grade for it. Um, but yeah, basically it's like tissue from your uterus that grows in other places and just caused like extreme pain. I had mm. migraines, like I would black out, uh, wow. and it took like my mom was she knew something was wrong, right? So many doctors, it's it's a it's an extremely underdiagnosed disease. Like I think it's like one in ten women probably have it. Um but
1: is it mistaken for menstrual cramps?
0: Exactly. Doctors are often just like, oh it's you're just having a rough period or something. Right. But yeah, to my mom's credit, again, she like really pushed and we saw all these doctors. Um and yeah, so I know that was like looking back and i'm like that was traumatic like i just remember sitting in the chair being like what is going on like hearing the doctor be like oh like your your ovary might die and afterwards being like wait mom like am i gonna die like just not not understanding that um
1: and and especially at that age it having to do with your genitals is so I, i you know i had issues with my testicles and had to have a couple of surgeries. And I just always felt so ashamed of my body and so let down by it. It's totally, it's like for the first 50 years of my life, my body was the enemy.
0: Definitely. That is, yes. Like I, you know, in fifth grade, I wasn't telling anyone like what I was having surgery for. And of course now I'm like, I I wish, I wish I would have, but Exactly. Like, so much shame about it. Like, I wouldn't talk about it. Um, And again, it wasn't even till a few years ago with, like, Instagram and, like, seeing other people post about it, right? And being like, oh, my God, yes. You know, and now I have, like, an illustrator friend who also has endometriosis and who, like, you know, went through all of – like, basically what I went through at, you know, 11, 12, she went through, like, now. So – you know, now there's books, right? There's there's all this stuff. And it's something that now I, like, I wouldn't say I love to talk about, but now I, like, feel way more confident talking about. But, yeah, I think that definitely also, yeah, caused that kind of, like, disconnect of just mm-hmm. not wanting to, like, be in my body. Or
1: think about your body or yeah. think about how other people might think about your your body
0: exactly exactly so so yeah you know it's it's all yeah it's all definitely like was this perfect storm to convince me that uh yeah just to kind of like check out right and like put all my attention on other people um and yeah
1: uh two questions uh the first one what what was the rage that you were pushing down and if you you know if you could remember what it was that you would have liked to say what what would it be and um in regards to focusing on other people what did that uh, look like specifically if you can think of any instances
0: yeah i mean i think the the rage was just at like not um feeling sup- or not like thinking that it was okay for me to express myself right so it's like when you push everything down it's going to like bubble up you know in Creasing. like a in like a in like a large way right it's right. like and that's something that i've that again i've learned in communication for me right it's like when you don't ever say what's actually going on then when you finally do for the first time it's like so very ugly. loud so and, ugly. and very messy and you yes. know i'm still learning how to like calmly uh communicate you know like difficult things right um so yeah i think it was just the just not feeling like i could actually share what was going on with me and then you know you just you internalize that and even though no what my parents were never like you cannot share nice. your emotions. But, you know, it's like you you cry or you yell, and when someone's like, shh, be quiet, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're just like, okay, like, never again will I will I do that. Um, so, yeah, I think I just really focused on, like, making sure everyone else was comfortable. But and- just uh, hold
1: on for a, a second before we go there. Is there anything that you can think of that, would have been helpful for you to, to actually say?
0: For for me to say back then? Yeah. I think, yeah, just any time I was feeling like hurt or feeling rejected, uh, feeling alone, feeling, you know, all of, all of those things. I think when you're like the quiet, weird kid in Mm -hmm. class that, uh, you know, I think just to be able to express those things, but there was, you know, it was like, even though I wasn't so aware of it, there's shame in that, too. So, right. you know, it was, like, just to to share that with, I guess, my parents. You know, I don't even – back then it's not like uh, talking about your mental health was something that, like, kids did with each other. I think right. I think now it is becoming way more normal, right? There's so many more conversations about that. And I think parents are, of course, encouraged to, like, talk with their kids about that stuff and check in and notice – If, you know, their kid is whatever, being really quiet or not hanging out with kids for a whole summer. But
1: uh, do you you think that you can find words now that you you wish you would have had then and and what would they be?
0: Yeah, I think I would just want to share how like how lonely I felt and how much of like, uh, yeah, just how like rejected I felt. But it's hard because I think I was doing that to myself too, right? Like I was, it was like this double layer of rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, I can like so clearly remember the day that like my, my friends in middle school who were like the cool girls, just
1: using air quotes,
0: just like stopped, uh, stopped talking to me. Like I was not their friend anymore. And you know, when you're that that's age, brutal. that's yeah, brutal. brutal. like I remember it's your whole world. I remember the sweater I was wearing the day I was like in class, and they just like, you know, walked past me and didn't acknowledge me. And of course, you know, I found my friends. I found the other weird kids. Like I found, you know, who were into the same like music and movies as me. Like you know, I I I definitely found my people eventually. But I think yeah, rejection is was just. This thing that I felt in so many ways when I was younger and to just, uh, I don't know, just just, I don't even know what I would, what do you even say, though, when you're feeling rejected, right? It's like, what is, what's the thing you say? I,
1: I remember in seventh grade, I had a girlfriend, her name was Loretta and i was so in love with her and there i i'm sure there was a lot of sickness and you know mommy issues you know mixed in there um but her friend jackie came up to me during lunch and i had my my lunch in my hand and she said Paul Loretta wants to break up with you. And I just remember it feeling like I was not even in my body. And and I just remember my hand as if someone else was operating it. I had a hostess ding dong and just squeezing it and the ding dong just squeezing through my fingers and just not even having words and just crying for days
0: yeah, cuz at that age you you aren't able to articulate exactly what's going on. You it just like right it like burns. It just it, it like it hurts in your body. So you know, uh I don't I don't really know. I don't even know what. I guess I just wish I could like almost tell my younger self that like like you don't want to be friends with those girls anyways. Like they're, you know, like if they can't even I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely stuff you hold on to, right? And it's like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, am I chasing all of this external validation just to like prove to those girls in middle school that like, <laughs> I am cool. Like you should want to be my friend. I do
1: wonder how how much of our actions as adults were informed by our failures in sixth grade. Uh, I
0: I think a lot for me as I'm I'm realizing like, you know, when you... I definitely struggle with, again, like, taking the time to, like, be proud of myself and slow down and be like, look at what you did. Like, you made a book. Like, you've done all this stuff. And it's just, again, always the, like, nope, I need more. I need more. I need to, like.
1: And work down to yourself. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, that's huge. That we so rarely look at that when we say, am I successful? We rarely look at the emotional I or know. the spiritual or the mental, you know, the mental even being, I fucking got out of bed when I was depressed. I showered when I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. That's a fucking accomplishment. That is success.
0: Oh, it's, it's so, it's so true. It's so true. And, I, you know, I don't know. I think like living in New York, it's definitely like there's so much of this kind of like hustle, whatever culture where, yeah, like that you know goes unacknowledged by everyone. It's like if you're not, if your identity is not that you're busy, it's like it's like ugh, you know, it's it's not okay. So that's something I'm realizing that uh, I've been embracing and like feeding into in ways where. Um, it's just not healthy. It it does not work for me. Yeah, it and does I, not work for me.
1: I, I don't know about you, but I fucking hate when people say, "So what have you been up to?"
0: Yeah,
1: it's my stomach drops. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know how to say it. You know, I'll say same old, same old, sure. and then that feels like a cop out. Sure, but sometimes it is true. Sometimes I ha- what I. Was up to last time I saw them is exactly the same. And then it feels like, Oh my God, I'm so not a go-getter. I'm so lazy. I'm so letting my life pass me by. Uh, and, and it's all in just huge letters now that this person has asked you and, I
0: know. and
1: they feel sorry for you, but they won't say it.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, It would just be so cool to, like, actually stop giving a shit what other people thought about me.
1: And to to be able to say that. That's what – you know what I've been up to? Letting go of whether or not people like me. Yeah. Yeah. Letting go of the anxiety when people ask me what you just asked me. That's what I've been working on.
0: Yeah. No. No, definitely. So – yeah, I think I'm defi- I'm coming to the realization more and more that like I want to do more nothing. Like I want to just hang out more. Like I want to just sit and like stare at the sky, right? These these things that uh, for so long, I would like roll my eyes at and mm-hmm. be like, "Ugh, what a like waste of time exactly like how how lazy what like, new
1: agey bullshit that is Go put on your robe and fucking sandals and light some incest and go fuck yourself
0: exactly and now I'm like, wait, I think that's I think that's like the the key to it all you know like i I was laughing to myself the other day because you know the live, laugh, love right all these like corny mm-hmm. things you can buy this store. I'm like there's
1: that's, something to it.
0: That's that's kind of like what what I want. So yeah, right? It's just embracing the like the that like earnest uh just like I don't know, in in search of that, yeah, peace of mind like however that happens, right. I don't know.
1: And and so then back to the question of uh you, you know, you you mentioned focusing on other people to avoid. Yeah. yeah feeling the pain of stuffing your feelings what did that look like when did that start
0: i mean i think it like again right probably like in middle school having crushes and just like oh god like i have memories of like seeing a a boy i had a crush on wear like a a certain band shirt and then like going home and being like okay this is my new favorite band <laughs> and just like you know just like again just wanting to mold myself into the most like likable who do i need to be exactly so i think i think that's kind of how it's how it's played out and it's been uh hard but also really cool to as i as i get older to be like wait like what do you actually like and to learn to very slowly but like care care less about that stuff
1: what are some some things that you've discovered that you actually like that it took you years to discover
0: i mean i love just like self help like spirituality books and you know like i I I love that sort of stuff. Um just like pop music, you know, just like things that where I like f- feel I'm trying to follow like, you know, what I feel good doing. Um
1: listening to your body?
0: Yes, definitely. Definitely like uh again, I think with that with that laziness thing, like letting myself rest. I think that's mm-hmm. something that um you know, I've struggled with because, like, again, still with the endometriosis, like, it's kind of, like, the week before my period and the week of it, I just, you know, it's, like, my back hurts. Like, anything I – if I eat certain foods, I get, like, crazy bloated. So that's something I'm – I'm just, like, just resting. Again, mm-hmm. like, being, like, okay, I'm going to watch – uh Five episodes of this tv show today and like i Mm -hmm. that does not mean i am a a lazy person um and yeah just like you know i i I started dating my boyfriend like a year and a half ago and just letting myself like be a person in love like that's something that again for so much of my life i was like relationships are a waste of time like i can't ever get ahead in my career i can't focus on myself so I think just like letting myself letting myself be happy is like mm-hmm. a sadly like a kind of newer interest of mine.
1: And what have you, if anything, discovered about yourself since you've been in this relationship? Because I, I think for a lot of us a, a relationship is a mirror oh, yeah. of what is going on in our head. And yeah. Our childhood and all it, it triggers so many thoughts and feelings uh, in us, and reveals our coping mechanisms and our insecurities. And what are some of the ones that that you've kind of, for better or for worse,
0: found? Yeah, um, I think I've become aware of how anxious I am, uh, how like more aware of how obsessed with work I am, you know, especially this last year, right? It's, like, my boyfriend and I, we were the only two people we really saw for most of the year, Um, and so just, you know, realizing that, like, whenever, you know, when he would come back from the studio for the day, and I would talk to him, and I would just, like, talk about work for half an hour, and just, yeah, that that was kind of always what I was talking about, and, you know, he would be really great and listen to it, but just... Right, I would pick up on like why do, why is that the first thing that I talk about right like why is that how I uh just like identify my time and my days and like my identity, like mm-hmm. my identity again is is work, and I think I had realized that in a lot of ways, but again, right, I thought I was like oh i have I've let go of that, and then I'm like oh i I have not um. Yeah, just just so many, I think so, yeah, the so all the insecurities are again like brought brought up, right? It's like the things that maybe would bother me about him. Uh you know, I'm like, "Oh, like maybe that bothers me about myself." Just like maybe him. I think vulnerability has definitely been a a big thing. Like I'm dating someone who cries way more than me, who shares when he's like hurt a lot he shares that more openly than me um and I think at first maybe there was some like aversion to that and now I'm like wait that's that's so beautiful to like you know mm-hmm. to be in a relationship with someone who's so helpful is so so helpful because you know then of course like i feel safe doing the same thing um and again right with everything I've been talking about it's like he is someone who loves to just take his time and like enjoy life and he'll just like stroll through the city for hours and just like drive around out to like Long Island and just you know like explore and before we started dating I was always right like head down like do my stuff and even though I had become less obsessed with work I had basically shifted to like kind of being obsessed with like self-improvement you know mm-hmm. it's like okay my stack of self-help books
1: the irony like, <laughs> the irony i can't connect to people i'm busy reading my self-help books
0: you know and yeah it. it you know i've definitely realized that it's like yes you can of course like work on yourself like that's such a huge part of it but we exist as you know we exist in relationship to other people and like You know, I don't, I don't want to be someone that just sits holed up in my apartment with my dog, like however cute he is. Like, I don't want it to just be us in this, like, again, this fortress, right? Where I'm just like, uh, you know, learning so much about myself, but it's like, you have to put that stuff into practice. You have to like actually learn, you know, to like communicate and have Mm -hmm. conflict and, um,
1: that, that is such an important experience, learning how to disagree yeah, the tone of voice, the words you choose, when you choose to say it, how you say it. Um,
0: it's it's so hard, and again, this is something that like I'm very much still learning. Uh, that like I take stuff so personally, right? Mm-hmm. When we get into arguments, and then but then when he takes stuff personally, I'm like, it's not personal. You Why know? are it's you like-
1: taking this personally?
0: <laughs> so, uh, but it's been really. I mean, I don't know if fun is the right word, but. I'm. I've enjoyed like exploring that with him because, you know, when I was younger, right? It's like I, I would because I wasn't communicating my emotions. They would just come out in these kind of like, you know, and like violent Mm -hmm. this this rage. And so it's it's really beautiful to be able to like have a difficult conversation with my boyfriend. But then after talking for like forty five minutes. Be able to be like okay, like you know, I feel really good that we shared that. I feel closer to you now, and I'm just like, wow, like wow, wow,
1: fucking amazing. And again, one of those surprises that the universe had for you since you were born, and you had no idea how good it was going to feel inside to experience that, and to then have that tool moving forward. And what a success that is as a human being.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 beautiful to yeah to be able to like to do that now and to look how far i've come where it was like you know for so many years whenever things would come up that i was uncomfortable about i would yeah just like push it down hide it push it to the side pretend it didn't exist or be like oh like i'm just being dramatic or or whatever um and of course, still, sometimes it happens, right you I will express something and be like, "Oh, like that was
1: a little edgy, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I needed to throw the candlestick when I said that. I don't know why I've got you in the eighteen seventies having yeah. an argument, but
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just yeah, it's been it's been so great to like be in this relationship now and and I do think I needed to like i do think i you know those." Years when I like stopped partying, stopped socializing in a way that I did. Like, I think it was good to kind of, yeah, take that time to, to like feel safe and to build, you know, it's like you, you got to kind of like build up your confidence a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, cause, you know, like going on dates, not drinking, like that was a totally new thing for me to be like, all right, let's have coffee at noon. Um, and that was a big fear. Like, I didn't, I didn't date for a bit, like after I stopped drinking, because I just was like, Which is I do awesome. not know how to do this. Which
1: is awesome. You know, yeah. people that rush into a relationship right after quitting drinking is so often that yeah. becomes their new drug. It's, yeah. It's like we that, that addiction in us will look for any form of oxygen, you know, shopping, whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Done, done that too. So... You know, it's, right, I think that's definitely what I'm realizing, like, looking back. It's like there's, you know, there's so many ways in which I have tried to escape. Like, mm-hmm. shopping definitely has been a thing, uh, drinking, drugs, like, dating, all that, you know, and, right, it all it's all trying to, like, fill the same void. So, I don't know.
1: Anything else you'd like to share?
0: Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, I just, I'm like, I, I, you know, I really do have to acknowledge, I think, like, how, how proud I am of myself for, like, for being able to be someone that even, like, talks about yeah. Their feelings now after not doing it for so long. There
1: should be a magazine where we celebrate people who've broken the cycles of I think so. emotional poverty. You know, I think somebody so. on the cover that used to put their fist through a wall, a picture of them crying.
0: Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's so cool. And I think like all all I hope for is, you know, to like keep normalizing that. I yeah. think and that's something that, like, I love about what you do. Like, there's so many times when I've been listening and been like, you know, to just to hear someone, like, speak out loud something you've always thought but maybe, like, couldn't even admit to yourself. I think is, like, so powerful because we're not we're not alone with any of this stuff. No. It's the most universal thing. But, like,
1: <laughs> it's the stinky clue that, yeah. you know, yeah. And if we we spend so much of our lives just going, that stinks. But then we find out, wow, wow, this, this unites me rather than destroys me. I used to think that if I could just be impressive enough, I would be safe and I would be successful. And I had no idea that trying to separate myself from the pack would separate me from the pack.
0: Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Chasing all that stuff. It it doesn't doesn't give you what there's no like prize at the end for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I always think of what what Prince said. I've been to the top of the mountain and there's nothing there. Grace, if people want to uh, find out more about you or buy your books or follow you on social media, what, what's that info?
0: Yeah. So my Instagram is artbabygirl and my website is com.
1: And that's spelled M-I-C-E-L-I.
0: Yes. And yeah, my, my book is uh, available wherever books are sold now.
1: And it's a great book and it's called How to Deal? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Grace, thanks so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. This episode is sponsored by Cerebral. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online, you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. And I can recommend, uh, Cerebral. I have, uh, been doing sessions with uh, my therapist, Megan, and she's intelligent, compassionate. Um, this last week, I had therapy with her and she helped me prioritize uh, the things that I've been stressing out about. She helped me clarify things from a state of vagueness to what are some actionable things that, uh, that I can do. And, uh, and I felt a sense of relief. All cerebral clinicians are vetted, credentialed, and trained to help you feel better. They stay up to date on the latest studies and breakthroughs so they can provide quality care that's based on rigorous research. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you guys 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code mental. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code mental to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Ducks Eat For Free at Subway. And uh, she asks, has there ever been a listener survey that you think about to this day? Has anything really stood out to you or specifically helped you that a listener has said? Absolutely, absolutely. So many that I can't even begin to to list them. Uh, do you ever get emails from listeners who are non professionals asking you to be on the podcast? Uh, I do, and it doesn't really matter to me whether somebody asking to be on the podcast is a professional or not. Uh, is it annoying? No, I don't think it's 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 annoying. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. But, you know, I remind myself, you know, I'm always wishing that the podcast could grow and we get more listeners and bring in more money. And, you know, part of the reality is if your podcast does grow, uh, you're going to get more people wanting to be on the show. So there you have it. Ferris Wheel asks, you mentioned previously your platonic women friendships and how you were able to have these after recovery and how they played a great part in your life. Could you please paint a picture of how one of these may work on a, quote, normal day? Such a great question. Um, I think examples of my relationships with my female friends would be, you know, talking to each other on the phone when one of us is, is struggling, um, getting together to, to have coffee, when one of us is struggling, or we, you know, we haven't talked to each other in a long time. Uh, probably the most common one is just having deep, vulnerable conversations after uh, one of our support group meetings. Uh, I think a big part of my comfort with having those relationships came from seeing them as human over the years in our support groups, and me kind of laying all my stuff on the table and still feeling loved and accepted by them, which is the basis for intimacy, uh, whether it's platonic or romantic. And so then the relationship that I have with my girlfriend today, I, I don't believe I could have had if I hadn't had these platonic relationships with My female friends. Um, Hugs are a big part, but, you know, hugs can be a really complicated thing um, because they can easily cross over into creepy. um, And I think it's really important uh, to ask somebody before you hug them if they're okay with a hug. That had never even occurred to me before I came into my support group. Uh, So I'd like to think that my boundaries are much better than they used to be. And um, yeah, thank you for that question. LMC asks, if you could go back in time to any moment in your life, what would you choose? Would you pick a great experience and re-experience the joy, or would you relive a bad moment and try to change the outcome? I don't think I would try to change the outcome of, of anything, you know, even though my, actually, I think I would try to change the, the outcome of times that I've been, you know, a dick to, to other people. But as far as the things that I experienced, I don't think I would try to change the outcome of them because they, they made me who I am. And I, because of that, you know, I've had the, work hard not only to just survive on this planet to not kill myself or to drink myself into a stupor um but they they've helped me um they've helped me grow and experience meaning and purpose in my life and for that I'm I'm super grateful and if I think if you know I'd been <laughs> uh, captain of the football team and uh, treated everybody respectfully and uh, had smooth sailing in my childhood. I don't know what I'd be doing right now, but uh, I, I think I would pick an experience that was a bad moment for my childhood because I think, like a lot of people, we often wonder, Am I making too big of a deal of it? You know, we want to know more details about it. And we rack our brains wondering whether, whether or not, you know, we're exaggerating or should just let it go. And, and I think when other people hurt us, especially caregivers, we become obsessed with the question of why did they do it? Why would they do that to a child? And I think I would, I know I would want to try to find more information about that. Ezrael asks, What do you do when your fiancé accidentally sends you a video of her having sex with someone else and then lies, saying it's old when it's probably new? Wow. Buddy, I would say don't sweep it under the rug and get right to counseling. With her, because I think this is going to need an impartial person with experience and knowledge to help you navigate it, because there is so much packed in there that can easily send it off the rails for the duration of the relationship. You know, I think one of the worst things you can do in a relationship is to sweep shit under the rug. Because then, you know, when somebody explodes that, you know, you left the coffee on for too long, it's not about the coffee. It's about other shit. The shit you swept under the rug. Louisa asks, having experienced marriage, divorce, and a new committed relationship, in your opinion, what are the criteria or key elements of a healthy relationship? It's cliche, but communication, vulnerability, being a team, you know, when there's a disagreement, not trying to, you know, dominate the other person and come out victorious, but to listen to them and to find a way to express things in terms of your feelings rather than you know taking that person's inventory and criticizing them it's it's uh it's complicated do you think committing to someone for life as in marriage is an invaluable, is a valuable sign of trust or is it a na- naive concept i i think that is up to each person and that's yeah Danger asks, have you ever had a guest on that you regretted? Um, I don't think I've ever regretted having a guest on, but there have been episodes where I feel like it just, uh, didn't meet the the criteria of what makes uh, a good episode, uh, on the podcast. It could be that the person had an interesting story, but, um, it just didn't get communicated in the right way, um one of the things that I've kind of struggled with in in terms of a guest is trying to get them to open up and be vulnerable, but they keep their wall up and and it's just it's just all anger and resentment on their half and while that part I think can be valuable in an episode, if that's all it is uh, It's just, to me, I'd I'd rather not hear it. Tyler H. asks, I have horrible thoughts and see things others don't. Mr. Paul, how do I keep myself from hurting someone? I'm trying, but it's not working as well anymore. Tyler, this is an example of something that I am not equipped to weigh in on because this is serious and... Um, or it's, I should say, it sounds serious. I don't know whether these are just thoughts or if you feel like you're moving towards making these reality. Um, and that is where a professional would would benefit you. And I really, really hope that you, you seek out help. But sending you some love. Miss Daly Struggle asks, How do I, as an incest survivor, live with the fact that my husband is watching incest porn? I stumbled on this after asking permission to use his computer. First of all, I am sorry that you are uh, experiencing such uh, a difficult situation. I, I, think, I think what kind of pornography people watch, assuming it's legal is their own business but i think the question is i don't think you can ignore the effect it has on your partner that has to be dealt with is because i think in a in a committed relationship it's really easy for pornography especially if it's compulsive to take energy away from the the relationship Um, and I've, I'm assuming that your husband is watching role-playing incest porn and not illegal, uh, actual incest porn. Um, I think this is a great example of, of, um, something that, that we're counseling would, would help because this is going to be loaded with tons of feelings and, shame and anger and that shit is hard to fucking navigate. But thank you for asking that. Maria asks, do you have any guests in the show to talk about their experiences living with a person with mental illness? Yes, there is a great episode with Mark and Julia Lukacs. Lukacs. God, I forget how you pronounce their last name, but it was, I don't know, maybe from five or six years ago and it is a Beautifully bittersweet uh, episode, and it, it's a bit dramatic. Um, so uh, you know, don't I would say when you listen to it, uh, avoid the impulse to say, "Well, you know, mine doesn't match up. Mine isn't as you know big of a deal as this one is." So. You know, I can't take anything out of it. So Mark and Julia Lukacs, check it out. Michael asks, I've heard you mention that you have experienced troubles with intimacy in the past. I'm starting to see a pattern in my life where I sabotage or disregard healthy potential relationships that feel too intimate because they feel boring or not passionate enough. I find myself returning to unhealthy relationships where sex is the basis of our intimacy, obsessing over past love or chasing unavailable or toxic women. What were the first steps you took to start working on your intimacy issues? Uh, I had to admit that there were intimacy issues and that I needed to do something about them. I needed to find out what my part in them were and i fucking hated having to deal with that i hated having to go to a new support group to deal with it i felt shame i felt overwhelmed but it wasn't long before i began to feel a part of that community of people and i began to get help from them and i began to experience vulnerability and trust and compassion and and it opened me up it opened it opened my heart up and that for me, was the basis of beginning to hate myself less and to show up for other people. Um, to have something to give to other people. Uh, what is there to gain from embracing quote, boring intimacy? Well, it won't feel boring because there's a part of you that will thirst for the quote, boring intimacy. Because you you probably haven't experienced it yet. You probably haven't experienced that feeling of letting go and laying yourself open and feeling accepted. It's a fucking amazing feeling. Uh, and it changes everything. It changes the way you talk to each other. It changes the way you have sex with each other. It changes the way you show up for each other. So, uh, I recommend reading a book by Pia Melody called Facing Love Addiction. And I think that will answer a lot of your questions. What the Actual Fuck asks, How did you get to the place you're at now where you can talk so openly and freely about mental struggles? Thoughts? Sex and sexuality? Um, I probably answered this my previous questions but therapy support groups and seeing other people model it for me especially in support groups and reading books about it it was not modeled in my house growing up so i when i first went into therapy at 24 years old i had no fucking idea what was a small deal or a big deal or what i was entitled to or where i was being a dick i No idea how to express it. I just knew I wanted to kill myself, and I was tired of feeling that way. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Grand. Um, She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She was failed by everybody in her life, Um, her caregivers. She writes, I feel broken, like there was a traumatic amputation, but instead of removing the damaged limb, it was sewn back in and is festering. Some days it's smaller than other days, but a whiff of rot lingers. Other days it's like dragging a bloated corpse around with me. She has experienced emotional abuse, um, some really, really shitty abuse uh, from her ex, Darkest thoughts. I'm afraid of my own vagina. It feels like a tunnel, and at the end of it, there's a door that opens into an abyss of pain and fear. I can't have gynecological testing or exams without dissociating and losing my shit. I had a doctor ask me once, were you raped? This was before I told anyone, so I just said no, grabbed my pants, and ran out of the room. He meant it in the kindest, most non-judgmental way, but I couldn't do it. I'm even unable to masturbate, but I tend to watch gay BDSM porn, especially medical play and bondage. The thought of being a dom turns me on, that I'm in control, and no one can touch me unless I want it. Darkest Secrets I work in mental health with sex offenders it would shame me for anyone at work to know of my past or my current gay porn viewing i never ever tell my clients of my own trauma experience and this work is actually surprisingly easy for me to do hooray for dissociating i can compartmentalize very easily and never ever get triggered while working I feel intense guilt and shame for not reporting my abuse. This work kind of feels like my redemption, like maybe I can help stop other people from being abused. Obviously, I don't tell many people about my work when they ask, so what do you do? As working with sex offenders tends to horrify others who hear about it. It doesn't really inspire people to re-invite me to dinner parties if my work comes up. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, BDSM, female domination of men, or gay BDSM. I once looked up infantilism for curiosity, and it was also kind of arousing, but not something that I've really explored other than, huh, that's interesting. To be clear, I'm only turned on by being the dominant partner in any fantasy or role play. I'm so afraid of vulnerability that I would never be able to be submissive. It feels good to say it on one hand, but holy fuck, it also makes me feel super fucked up. You know, there's a couple things I, I, I want to chime in with. And one is that we have no control over what our sexual blueprint is, what you know, what turns us on or doesn't turn us on. What we do have control of is how we deal with the feelings around it, how we share it or don't share it. And it does not make you a hypocrite to have those uh, turn-ons or to look at that um, pornography. The question is: is 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 it a healthy choice or an unhealthy choice or somewhere in between for you? And that there may not be an answer to that. But avoiding the feelings around it. Um, I think can be problematic because it doesn't help with the shame or the guilt. And you deserve to not walk around feeling shamed and, and, and full of guilt. And I think you you deserve the opportunity to share your story and for it to be witnessed by another human being and for you to feel felt and seen and heard and supported because it can be life-changing. What would you, what if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm fairly blunt most of the time, but I'd like to be able to feel comfortable being vulnerable with trusted friends and family. I can't let my guard down. What if anything do you wish for? Someone to love me, to find me beautiful despite being fat, and parentheses, hello, coping mechanisms, and to want to be patient enough to allow me to work through this shit. Have you shared these things with others? I shared the BDSM thing with a therapist once. She only knew about it from Fifty Shades of Grey and was kind of horrified and judgmental about it, like I was reenacting my trauma. You know, that that is an ignorant therapist. My abuse wasn't in any way like my sexual fantasies, either as the perpetrator or as the victim. I'm not upset by it, but it kind of annoyed me. E.L. James can suck a bag of dicks for her shitty misrepresentation of healthy BDSM relationships. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I really, really hope that you do share your story when the time feels right, if it ever feels right. And if you know what, it never feels right to share it, that's okay, too, you know. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Supertoke74, and he writes, Three months ago, I heard through a friend of a friend that my old high school buddy, Jeremy, not his real name, died in a workplace accident a year and a half ago. And although we lost touch over the years, I'm now a man in my 40s, part of me was quite gutted to get the sad news. It affected me to the point that I soon started digging up all I could on what Jeremy had been up to the last three decades. I even started a Facebook account so that maybe I could find something to help me through the unexpected loss I was feeling. didn't take long to find info and photos of Jeremy, but I also found photos of his kid sister, Angie, not her real name, who developed into quite the looker over the years. And here's the part I'm having trouble with. For the last month or so, I've been pleasuring myself to photos of Angie that I collected through her Facebook account. None of the photos I use for this purpose have Jeremy in them. But some of them do have his mom. That is an awful fucking moment. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, man. Oh. It's amazing. I think so few people are lucky enough to have s- shit they jerk off to that doesn't make them feel guilt or shame. There's a great book about that very subject uh, called The Erotic Mind by a guy named Jack Moran, and uh, I recommend, recommend it. Becky asks, what's something you'd like to say on the podcast but the opportunity or the right time hasn't come up yet? That's a great question, and I honestly can't think of anything. Uh, if anything, I sometimes feel like I make this podcast too much about me, and I talk too much about shit, and, and I'm being, you know, a drama queen, or all the other shit the mean voices in my head and say to me. Stymied asks... What is your litmus test for going off a drug because it's just not doing the trick anymore? I'm still wavering, thinking it could be a lot worse. At least I'm not weeping uncontrollably or suicidal. But my creativity, I'm an artist, is at a standstill. And like I said, my enjoyment of life is usually in the dumper. Thanks, Paul, for all the times your podcast has made all the difference for me. Well, thank you for your your nice words. That means a lot to me. And this question is the reason I started this podcast. In late 2010, I had gone off my meds, and I was suicidal, and I didn't know that it was because I went off my meds. Because the first five months of being off them, I felt great. So when it creeped back in, I thought my life really did suck, and I really did need to kill myself. And one day it occurred to me, oh my God, this is the depression went back on my meds, and within three days, I felt better. And I thought, there needs to be a discussion about this. And uh, I thought the podcast would be a great medium to do this. And I didn't know if anybody was going to listen, if anybody was going to get anything out of it. And, um, you know, here I am 10, 11 years later. And if I had an answer to that question, it would be, Um, it's complicated. I don't always know the answer to it. But one of the things I ask myself is, where is my enjoyment of the things I normally enjoy in life? Uh, Because, you know, the dread of going to the bank or doing the laundry, you know, that stuff can be there even when I'm healthy. But um, difficulty leaving the house and not taking enjoyment and things like woodworking or guitar um, are usually a sign that that something going something is going on and doing things compulsively, you know, especially video games and sometimes pornography. As much as I hate to admit that, um, and I and I will tend to pull away and not open up to people and just say, "Oh, I'm doing fine." Um, so I hope that helps. That answer. This is from the Shame and Secrets Survey filled out by Taylor H. And um, she identifies as straight. Uh, doesn't say how how old she is. Um, she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I would say it absolutely counts. When I was seven, my sister, who was 12 at the time, did some really disturbing things to me. It started with her just wanting to look at my body. She wanted me to touch myself, but for a while, she never touched me. Then, I guess, she got more confident and started to touch me. It kept getting worse. One of the worst moments was when she used my Play-Doh dentist kit tool that was shaped like a drill slash screwdriver on me. She did this often. I was terrified of her, and I would call my mom, My mom's work phone crying and screaming that she was hurting me. But my mom would always hang up on me because she thought we were just normal siblings fighting. Wow. That is so fucking awful. The sexual stuff lasted over a year. I've never known what to label what happened to me. Was it sexual abuse? Was it just kids experimenting? No, this to me was not. Kids experimenting, you know the very first part, you know, uh, wanting to look at each other's bodies, you know, I think that could be childhood experimentation. But when it crosses into touching each other's in a in a sexual way, then it gets into an area that um, is really complicated. When it gets into putting objects into an unwilling uh, participant, that is absolutely abuse. You're right, she was only 12 or 13. Is she innocent in this? You know, somebody can be (sighs) innocent in terms of they were a child, but it doesn't diminish the pain and trauma that it caused you. You know, whether or not somebody would be found guilty in a court of law is irrelevant in the validity of the trauma that you experienced and the need for you to to take care of yourself as an adult and to you know tell yourself that you are worthy of healing she's been physically abused and emotionally abused my sister would hit me kick me pull my hair The bruises would stay for days. When she wanted things from me, she would manipulate me and blackmail me. She constantly insulted me, calling me fat and telling me that if people really knew me, they would hate me. Boy, was she projecting her own stuff onto you. Eventually, it all got to me, and a few years later, hello, eating disorders. Any positive experiences with the abuser? My abuser was my sister who was older than me by five years. I remember times when she was nice. She would play with my friends and I. She acted nice. But since the abuse first started, I don't think there have been any positive experiences. I hate her with all of my being. I don't think I could think of her in a positive way. Darkest thoughts. The most shameful thing I think about when thinking of what I went through is my part in what happened. I was so young. I don't remember the exact order of what happened. I don't remember how exactly it started. My sister would constantly tell me it was my fault, that I was disgusting. Man, that was her projecting all her stuff on you. There's a power dynamic that is unbalanced with a sibling that much older than you. You know, you can even be the same age or, or the younger sibling can oftentimes even be um, the abuser. It's... It's. I don't remember how exactly uh, Oh, I read that. The other thing I have thought about, if my sister disappeared one day, I truly wouldn't care. I'd be happy, probably. I don't think I would feel bad if she died. Darkest secrets, the details of the things that went on between my sister and I, like the Play-Doh tool, are my deepest secrets. I can't imagine actually saying the words of what happened allowed. And you know what? You don't have to go right to that. We can start off by just sharing with someone who's safe. You know, I went through shit in my childhood that really fucked me up. And I think it's still fucking me up. And I'm not ready to talk about it right now, but I need a hug. You know, can you come over and watch a movie with me? So much of recovery is baby steps. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have a lot of very dark sexual fantasies where I am the victim of non-consensual sex. I feel disgusted with myself for thinking that way, especially after what happened to me. It's, It's so common. It is so common. And do not blame yourself. You know, like I said earlier, our sexual blueprint is handed to us We do not get to choose what turns us on. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to talk to another girl who was touched by my sister. I haven't talked to her about it because I don't want her to turn around and blame it all on me. I did some very shameful things during that time, and I don't want her to blame me. At the same time, I would like to talk to her and see what she remembers. I'm just scared of what she might remember that I don't. This would be great stuff to run by a therapist who specializes in sexual trauma and childhood sexual abuse. What if anything you wish for? I wish more than anything my sister faced consequences for what she did. You know, your sister may never face consequences for what she did, but you do have the power to take care of yourself and to give weight to what happened to you and to feel loved and seen and supported because there are people out there. We may not find them immediately, but we will, if we keep searching, we will find our family, our family of choice, you know, not our family of origin have you shared these things with others a few months ago i told my parents at first they were worried i wanted to take my sister to court i'll admit that the thought of a court case was a bit appealing to me the only thing holding me back was the fact that it was my word against her and she probably remembers more than i do my parents acted supportive when i told them they didn't say i was making it up or anything but it also seemed like they didn't care they still talk to my sister like nothing happened they have her over for family dinners they laugh with her, and feel so much. I feel so much hatred when that happens. This shit is so complicated. It is so complicated. How do you feel after writing these things down? The same as I usually feel, I guess. I've been on the waiting list to see a counselor again. I'm now hoping a spot will open soon. I just want to give you a fucking high five and send you some love and a hug and just say that everybody who is hearing your survey is fucking rooting for you, man. Really rooting for you. And she asks if there is an episode uh, of child on child sexual abuse. Yeah, there are several that we've done. there was an episode with a guy named tom who was raped by his sister when they were kids um there was an also there was also an episode within the last two years and i'm embarrassed to admit i'm blanking on his first name but he was um he was raised mormon and he experienced sexual abuse at the hand of uh, a, a relative who was a child slash uh adolescent um but if you Again, if you Google keywords and uh, include mental pod, those things will will come up. Um, This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, I wish I was an octopus or a humpback whale. And she writes, the feeling of the ocean, how my body moves in the ocean. I love to sit on a surfboard. I love how I feel in a sailboat. It's like the ocean places the arms around me and gently hugs me with love. Ah, oh, that is awesome. I just hope you don't get washed up on the rocks. <laughs> Famali asks... Are there any words that you don't like? That's such an interesting question. The first one that came to my mind is the word scrumptious, because it's usually in, in a commercial. I don't think anybody ever actually uses that word. Tantalizing is another word that's just so created by advertisers. I would say words that are created by advertisers, and I also cringe at words that where somebody is trying to show off their, you know, all the years they, they put into to school, and you know, it feels exclusive when it when it feels like somebody is trying to um, show off with words. And I'm, I've probably been guilty of it, um, but you know, like the word "inculcate," uh, you know, "fuck off," "fuck off," <laughs> and precious and new agey words when somebody refers to something as, you know, uh, sacred. Now, the word sacred can be really, not always, but a lot of times, you know, I can, my sacred sandals. <laughs> he put on his sacred robe. Fuck off. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by Huntin, hurting for certain. And she writes, in the middle of the pandemic, I hit a new shamefully low point with my drinking one day, and I decided the next day to finally get sober after years of self-medicating with alcohol. I didn't know I was going to make a sudden life change and was completely unprepared and didn't know how to all of a sudden be sober. The first three months were awful. I was so ashamed and depressed. I was terrible at being sober and exchanged my drinking habit for a sugar habit which is super common, by the way. For three months, I stayed in bed, ate gallons of ice cream and candy, and binge-watched one TV show, uh, all 16 seasons straight. For 16 seasons, I completely checked out and immersed myself into this TV show to distract me from my depression and to give me a sliver of entertainment in my dark state until I could find some hope in myself. One day, without noticing how close I was to the last episode, I finished the last episode. I panicked. I didn't have a game plan for a new vice to hold me over. I jumped in the car and aimlessly took a drive just to fill up some time. I live outside of L.A., and after driving around for a bit, I stopped in a busy downtown area to get some frozen yogurt. I could see there was a line out the door to this place, but I didn't mind. I got in the back of the line behind a man who was on a phone call... And I was in the middle of deciding if I should order a gallon-sized frozen yogurt or a dump truck-sized frozen yogurt. When I recognized the the sound of this man's voice, I exclaimed out loud, no fucking way. The man turned around, and I saw it was one of the main actors from that TV show. He just looked at me confused and continued on with his phone call. It was like the universe was welcoming me back to life and telling me I was going to be okay. It was one of the best tasting frozen yogurts I've ever had. I'm currently on my eighth month of sobriety, still elbow deep in ice cream, but I have hope for myself now. Oh, fuck do I love that. And that is so par for the course. For those of us that get sober, early sobriety is fucking awkward and desperate and not graceful. And man, it sounds like you are right where you should be. And that just, oh, that just fires me up. Love it. I love when the universe gives us a sign that it's there. It's there. And where we are is not a mistake. It's such a great feeling. And finally, these are some loves from Anxious Jay. She writes, I love the feeling of getting into a fresh bed after taking a shower. I love when I wake up feeling refreshed instead of groggy. I love watching my younger sisters grow into strong, beautiful women before my eyes, having once changed their nappies and being old enough to remember them in infancy. I love how it feels when I smiled at my one-year-old nephew and he smiles back. I love receiving unexpected messages from old friends and knowing that the friendship will always remain strong no matter how much time passes. I love when I see glimpses of rebellion in my mother, whom has suffered a long life of obligation. I love when I sit down with my parents and colleagues after a busy shift at my family's pub and we all have a good laugh about how things went that day. And I love when seeing something online is funny enough to make me literally laugh out loud in an empty room. And those are awesome. Those are fucking awesome. What a great way to, to end the podcast. I love when you guys give me a survey that is clearly meant to be the survey to end the show on. I just, I just love it. Well, it is, it is good to be back. I, uh, I'm so happy that I have this podcast and you guys to listen and support me when I'm struggling and to help each other and and me by sharing what's going on with you and remind us all that uh, we are not alone. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Up up in I know, some weird way. Up, in I know some weird up in some weird Bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up in some weird way.